this morning. In that worthy name of our Lord Jesus, who went to the cross, died for us. That there's no one here that needs to go to eternity without him. Of course, our thoughts are this morning with uh, Michelle and Brian and Michelle and her dad that passed away last evening and, and understand he was ready to go. We'll rejoice in that. It's good to see you here. Thank you, David, for sharing this morning uh, what the Lord laid on your heart. And then also for uh, Joshua for sharing a children's lesson. Actually, I think I'm going to have an adult version of the children's lesson this morning. So uh, I really appreciate really appreciated what uh, David shared about the Lord Jesus Christ because, as I realize, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the devil than I'm about the Lord Jesus this morning. That seemed a little bit wrong. But there is a devil, isn't there? There is. Let's turn to First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, we have in verses 8 and 9. To be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. There we have a few interesting verses. I have been thinking quite a bit recently. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were at a church, and they spoke on uh, Ephesians chapter 6 about the spiritual armor. And then Brother John had it, was it two weeks ago, I believe, on the spiritual armor out of Ephesians chapter 6. And in this analogy, a soldier puts on uh, a protective gear. He puts on this equipment all over his body. And what stood out to me was that the primary purpose of this equipment was protection. Protection for himself. Uh, being you put your helmet on. That's protection. I mean, how much damage can your helmet do to the enemy? Maybe if you're real close, you could ram him in the stomach or something, but not a whole lot. Or your breastplate that you put on to cover your chest and back. It's protective. Even your sword can be both, both defensive and offensive. Sometimes we get the idea, and we actually sang a song this morning that was really beautiful. The battle is, strife is over, the battle is won. 
that is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not talking about us per se. We are, the battle's not over for us. And so, today we hear calls to go to the ministry. We hear calls to get involved in evangelism, to make a difference in the world, to do it in a myriad of different ways, to get involved in the work of the Lord. And missions and evangelism is the primary purpose of the church. And I'm going to stand up here and disagree? I'm not. I'm not. But I wanted to highlight a few things this morning. Maybe some misplaced emphasis and maybe some blind spots that people of God have in this battle. The cliche that says the best defense is a good offense is not entirely true. Not false either, but it's not entirely true. In 1987, the Soviet Union had an enormous celebration in Moscow. It was the 70th year of communist Russia, 70th year anniversary. And so they had a tremendous celebration. Four years later, the country broke apart into 15 different countries, and the Soviet Union ceased to exist. Why? There was no foreign army came in and blew it apart. Its military defenses did not lack the proper resources. So why did it fall apart? Without going into the history of it all, it fell apart because of internal things. Though it had a massive five million man army, that army could not prevent its demise. And its defense budget was estimated to be around 30% of the gross national product. But that large amount of defense, or offense, whatever you want to call it, could not prevent the embarrassing and ignoble collapse of this proud and aggressive empire. In this case, a good offense would have done it no good. The verses that we just read, to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may be devour. That verse is talking about an enemy. It's about a battle. It's about a threat. A dangerous threat. Now the analogy is a natural one. A lion representing a spiritual threat. There is a spiritual lion loose. Now last week at the cabin... Uh, you're going to hear more about the bear. We actually saw a bear Saturday, Sunday morning just before church. The bear comes out. 
And we fed the bear. We played with the bear. We got a fishing line, put some bacon on the end of it without the hook, I think. I hope we didn't want to hook him. But we wanted to see if we could pull him in. We tried to get him to come up to the porch. Now, a bear is a semi-dangerous animal. Uh, a bear does eat meat. But a bear eats berries, it eats insects, it eats grubs, it eats fish. Brother, what would have we done if a lion would have showed up at our house, at our cabin? Lions eat meat only. They don't eat marshmallows, I don't think. We wouldn't be out on that porch trying to lure a hungry lion in. And this morning I'm going to talk about a lion. A roaring lion. Because in real life, we can't just stay in our secure cabins. We need to walk through the woods of life. And there are lions occupying those woods. This world is occupied by a devil, and the Bible tells it as plain as can be that this lion, this devil, is out actually looking for you. He actually wants to sink his teeth in you, spiritually. He does. Now, one thing about a lion is he doesn't want to just chase you away. He doesn't just want to sort of get you out of his territory. That's not a lion. A lion has one thing in mind. A lion actually loves you for one reason. He loves his meal. And a lion loves you for one reason. And he doesn't want to wound you. He actually wants to kill you. Because he wants to say, seeking whom he may devour. That word devour is to swallow up. It wants to the end of you as a as a threat to him a real lion wants to kill and eat and so does the devil the bible verse that we find in john 10 a very familiar one the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy is another version of the devil that's the roaring lion and the thing about it you don't actually need to go looking for him he's already looking for you Right now. Now this warning comes in an interesting context. A couple verses before, in verse 6 and 7 of 1 Peter 5, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. This tells us that we have a God who cares about us, who loves us, and this God is mighty. We have a mighty God who loves you and he cares for you. And we're invited to come to this God, to come near to him, submit to him, and then we have this promise that he will eventually exalt us. In this way, we are actually told to trust God. Trust him. He'll take care of you 
humble yourself, obey him, do what he says, establish that relationship with him, he will take care of you. Everything will eventually work out. And and so we might seem, okay, that's all we need. God will take care of me. But because God will take care of you doesn't mean that we can be careless. We don't need to carry our care. We don't need to carry our burdens, but we cannot be careless. There is a a purpose because immediately after he says he cares for you, he says, Wake up! Hope nobody was sleeping. Watch out! Right after he says, I'll take care of you, he says, Watch out! There's a roaring lion loose, and he's looking for you. Wake up! This is not a battle, this is not a playground. And neither is this a situation where the battle has been won. And we're just mopping up a little bit of loose ends. It's not that way at all. No way. This is a real battle. And some aren't going to make it. Now statistics will tell us that some in this room are going to fall prey to the devil. Statistic will tell us that. And that's not an empty statement. Since Harmony Divided, back in 95 from charity, there are, I can think of, I couldn't think of any more, but I think of two men that stood in this pulpit at Harmony that regularly stood behind the pulpit and preached to us who are no longer Christians today. They have left the faith. These men were my peers. They encouraged me. They preached the word of God. They prayed. They witnessed. They participated in the communion and foot washing service. But something else was going on back then too. There was a lion on the loose back then. And that lion, you know how a lion works? A lion is stealthy. A lion won't come up to the porch. A lion will, well, a lion will be like the hunter. He will observe her prey, usually a female lion will observe her prey from a distance. And it'll be waiting. It'll be watching. It'll be crouching, crawling, stalking, looking for a chance to make a kill. This lion is not in a hurry. She has all day, but she is focused. She knows exactly what she wants. And she does not want to chase him away. She wants to make a kill. So a lion was on the loose back then, and a lion is on the loose now. That's why Peter says to be sober, 
and to be vigilant. These words are imperative words. You English teachers know what imperative means? It means a command, right? Am I right? Imperative, it's a command? Okay. These words are actually a command. It says, be vigilant, be sober. That's a command by God. Just like God would say to love your enemies, God would say don't steal. God says to be vigilant. Are you obeying God's command to be sober this morning? For the first part of the message, we're going to look at what being sober means and maybe how we cannot be sober. Of course, to be sober means to be free from the influence of intoxicants. The common way people become intoxicated is with alcohol. And when someone is intoxicated, they're no longer sober and they're no longer vigilant. The two go together. Reserves come down, reflexes slow down, and there seems to be no more danger in this world when in fact the danger has increased. The Pennsylvania State Police used to have a sticker on each of their police cruisers. I don't know if they still have it or not. I haven't seen it. I remember seeing it years ago. It said, impairment begins with the first drink. But is alcohol the only way to become intoxicated? I don't think, I don't think when Peter is talking to Christian here and telling them to be sober, he wouldn't be talking about that. So is alcohol the only way to become intoxicated? It is a fact that texting while driving is just as dangerous as driving while drunk. The texting driver is under the influence of that gadget and that conversation, and he's distracted from giving all his attention to driving. So in that sense, he is intoxicated. He's not sober, and he's not vigilant. In a similar way, Christians can get under the influence of various things also. We can disobey God by not being sober, and by being intoxicated in lesser or greater degrees in various things. Take, for instance, materialism. Materialism. Can that be an intoxicant? Making money. Finding satisfaction and fulfillment in things. The things can be good things. Money is a good thing. We need it. But when we come under its influence, it changes The world takes a different look when we are under the influence of materialism. Our goals change. Our actions change when you're under the influence of materialism. Our relationships with other people change.
And when we're under the influence of materialism, we become a target, a prime target for the enemy. Now, materialism is so intoxicating because of what it does for us. It boosts our ego. The right stuff makes us feel important. The right car makes me feel cool. The right house with its right decorations elevates our image. The luxury money can bring appeals to our flesh. With money comes power, and that feels good. Basically, the apex of materialism is eat, drink, and be merry. You know, back when I was a boy, we used to sing this song. I haven't sang it for a long time, but we used to sing this song. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver, and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom shall shine, I want a gold one, that silver line. Is that your heart this morning? Satisfied with less here. Satisfied to build your treasures in heaven. Last evening, I I misquoted a song. We were singing in, uh, in our living room and, you know, standing on the promises. I said standing on the carpet. And it sort of struck us as funny. But, you know, we can be standing on the carpet of materialism. And if it has its influence on us, we're intoxicated by it. I know years ago, there used to be an iron curtain in Europe. People are behind the iron curtain. Behind the iron curtain, you were persecuted. It was, life was rough. Life was hard. Well, behind the plush curtain, it's just as dangerous. Materialism is one way we can be, come, not be sober, but be intoxicated by. Or we can be intoxicated or under the influence of Pleasure. Life is meant to be life and games, isn't it? My life is sports. I live for amusements. I like to eat. I try everything once and twice if I like it. We're only young once. I love to socialize. I live for the weekends or evenings so I can be with my friends. Well, nowadays, we don't actually need to wait for the evenings or weekends. We can be with our friends all day with social media. I may never touch alcohol, but my spiritual senses can be completely dulled by pleasure. I no longer enjoy Bible reading, Bible studies, or prayer meetings, or ministry. I'm intoxicated by what I can get out of life. Or 
we can be under the influence of what I would call a feel-good religion. I'm sure there'd be better names for it. A feel-good religion. There are millions in this nation who follow a religious belief that makes them feel good. They go for experience. They go for powerful experience. Powerful emotional experiences. If it feels like a religious experience, it must be from God, right? No matter if it contradicts clear scriptural principles. Just follow your heart. Do what your heart tells you to do is right. You know, I know you didn't have it, but you can have a powerful religious experience in celebrating the Catholic Mass. Or speaking in tongues. Or having dreams and visions. You can have powerful religious experiences. There's a lot of them. Now I'd like to tell you something you probably never thought of. The devil is a spiritual being. Is that right? He can and he does produce religious experiences. But does it square with the word of God? You know, I like to read a scripture, and you should turn to this one, an interesting scripture in 1 Kings chapter 13. And we'll read a fairly large portion of scripture here. 1 Kings chapter 13, there was a prophet who was told to go to a king, told him to give the king a message, and then he was told to get out of there, and go home. But don't, don't go home the way you came. Go home a different way. Don't eat. Don't drink. Don't go home the way you came. Go give the message. And then get out of there. You got it? Do that. And the prophet did. And let's read here. I'm in Second Kings. No wonder it didn't make sense. First Kings chapter 13, and I think I'll start reading at verse 12. After the report came to the father by his sons, and his father said unto them, Which way went he, this prophet? And his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Settle me the ass. So they settled him the ass, and he rode thereon. And went after the man of God. I'd like to just take a note of those verses. Sometimes a phrase will stick out. They went after the man of God. Did I tell you the devil doesn't need you to come to him? He'll go after you. Okay, they went after the man of God. And found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. 
And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass that they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Forasmuch as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast by the way. And the ass stood nearby, stood by it, and the lion also by the carcass. There we actually have a physical example of a lion consuming or killing a, a person. <clears throat> We're talking about feel-good religion. We're talking about going after experiences that do not square with the Word of God. Talking about angels speaking. Talking about, well, that's what they used to do, but today it's not that way anymore. And many, many things like that. God told you? Well, God told me I can do this. Or God told me I don't need to do that anymore. And that kind of thing. You cannot change the word of the Lord, but it is done en masse today. So we can be under the influence of feel-good religion. Besides the charismatic movement with all its counterfeit, there's another area that we can be under its influence, and that is the area of psychology, which is the study of the human and human mind and its behavior. Now, this study has always fascinated me. Why do people act in certain ways in certain situations? Did you know that depending how you ask a question will have a great impact on what the response is? Did you know that? Of course, we know that a soft answer turns away wrath and grievous words stir up anger. That's actually applied psychology. Did you know that you practice that? The scripture has psychology in it. If you speak softly to someone who, uh, someone who's aggressively coming to that and you have a soft answer, you're applying human psychology. There will be a, generally a certain reaction. So I love psychology. But modern psychology is basically humanistic and evolutionary at its core. Which is sin and guilt and personal responsibility as given so clearly in scripture is laid aside as well as repentance and the power of the blood of Christ. Instead, there is an alternative avenue pursued. Actually, many, many avenues, because many, none of them hardly agree with one another. But there's 
other avenues pursued that are not biblical to relieve the addictions and the emotional turmoil that might be in a person. Now, I am all for helping a person sort through the confusion that they're in and, and be very patient and, and give the resources that they need. But there is a path that God has illuminated for his people, and we must make sure that we stay on that path, that path of personal responsibility, the path of dealing with true sin and guilt and giving true biblical answers to that. To go another way, even if it seems to work, is to enter in the way that the devil can find us as an easy prey. Just because something works, seems to work, does not necessarily mean it is God's way. There are other areas of intoxication. It could be fascination with the wisdom and the learning of the world or the desire for acclaim and praise from unbelievers, not wanting to be mocked or ridiculed, you ever under that influence? Were you ever intoxicated under the influence and you didn't want to stand out in the crowd because of what it would come? I know what it's like. Still do. I remember a situation where a particular sister was not blending well with the church sisters. She was coming to church. It's not here. Don't Nobody you know. <laughs> she was coming to church, but she didn't connect with church. She had her friends outside. And so she was questioned about this. Why? Why aren't you not blending? It seemed like you had no heart to blend with 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 the church congregation. And she said that, well, she doesn't have, doesn't feel, get, feel like she has connections with them. But there is this other group of friends, many of them have left that setting, that she has connections with. And she just, uh, and she just connects with them. And so, because she connects so well here, she just doesn't feel like she fits here. Well, those women that she was connecting with, many of them had left the, um, the biblical principles and many of the commands of Scripture. She was under that influence, and because she didn't put it away, she eventually joined them. She eventually followed them in the path of disobedience. So God tells us to be sober. Are you under the influence? Well, actually, I hope you are. I hope you are actually under the influence. God says to be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Spirit. To be filled with the Word. Someone who is under the influence 
of the Spirit will exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. There will be love, true love, for someone who is under the fruit of the Spirit, not permissive or simple love. Under the influence of the Spirit, you will have true joy, not giddy or entertainment joy. Under that influence, you will have true peace, not the peace of compromise or lowering standards. And so, this morning, God gives us the call to be sober. For only, and only if you are sober, can you be vigilant, watchful. You know, to be vigilant means to give a strict attention to your surroundings. Um, we were hiking. Was that the youth hike? I think that we went to Chickie's Rock. They have a fence there. You can't go there. Well, years ago, there wasn't any fence there. And there used to be a number of people falling down that cliff. Most of the people who fell down that cliff were drinking. That was the primary cause of falls on that cliff. was not children getting too close to the edge. It was people who weren't sober. It was people who were, because they weren't sober, they were not vigilant. And they fell to their death. So, be sober, and then you can be vigilant. Now, vigilant must mean, simply means to be awake. In Matthew 24, in verse 43, we had this verse. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched. Would have watched is the word vigilant. He would have been vigilant. He would have been watching. If he'd have known that a thief was going to come that night, he'd have been watching. And would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Why was the thief successful? Nobody was watching. While he was sleeping, someone came and stole some valuables. And it wasn't discovered till the next day. Next day you get up and Where's our car? Did you have it last night? No. Where did you park it? Right there. Where is it? Well, I don't know. What happened? While you were sleeping, someone came, took it, or vigilant. It's interesting. Let's turn. Uh, You can turn there, actually for a parallel passage for what we're talking about this morning. It's in a different context, but turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is in the context not of a roaring lion, but of the Lord's coming back again. And the word vigilant and sober and watch are through here, are in here in a lot. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 to 10. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us 
Watch, that's the word vigilant, and be sober, that's the same word, be sober. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Now sleep and drunken are the opposites of watch and soberness. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, the same word, but it means physical in this case, we should live together with him. Job was attacked by the devil. We all know the story. And I think we're going to turn to Job here. And we're going to read some appropriate versions in the beginning there. We're talking about watching now. Not sleeping. And it was so... Well, what, let's first, let's first find out, what was Job doing? Okay, let's, what was Job doing? In verse 4, and um, verse 5, let's go in verse 5. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Okay, that's what Job was doing. Now, what was the devil doing? What was the devil doing right now? Well, let's read down there a little bit. In verse 7, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So what was Satan doing? Satan was, he's being a lion. He is looking for prey. He is watching. And sure enough, God says, have you seen my servant Job? And, well, yeah, but, you know, you got him protected. Was Job, let me ask you this question, was Job, Sober. We would say Job was a sober man. Was Job watchful? I think when he was watching over his household, he did it continually. Job was a watchful man. He was watchful in other ways too. In, uh, in 31, chapter 31 and verse 1, it's Job says, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. That I should, why, why then should I look upon a maid? This verse is an example of a watchful life. Now, the question I like to ask, did the lion roar in Job's life? You had better believe it, he roared. Did Job know that the lion was going to roar? Did he wake up one morning and say, this is the day 
Is he's coming? Nope. But was Job asleep? Nope. He was not asleep. You know, Job racked and reeled and moaned and groaned. But at the end of the all, he was still standing. He was. Now let me ask you again. The title of the message is Defensive Warfare. Let me ask you if defensive warfare is important. We hear a lot about offensive warfare, and we need it. But defensive, that we are defended, well defended against the enemy. So we think, yes, defensive warfare is important. Let me ask you another question. Is this roaring lion toothless? I see some heads yes and some heads no. Is he toothless? Yes, no. My answer is yes, no. The devil is walking about as a roaring lion. He is a spiritual, diabolical being. And he is seeking. The verse that we read, he is seeking whom he may devour. He is looking for prey, just like a lion does. He is looking for vulnerability. He is. A lion will look at a herd, zebra, can use that as an example, and he will watch him. And he will observe them. He will get close. He will see if maybe one of the zebras gets off to the side or a young one is a little careless or maybe he'll see a weak one and when the time is right, he will spring for the kill because he's watching. The zebra has no idea when that line is coming. Now, there's another way a a lion can get animals. A lion pride at the group of lions may work together. And the male lion will get himself on one side, and then they'll get the group of females on the other side of the herd of zebra. And when things are set up, the male lion will expose himself and roar. And all the zebra will run away from it, right into the trap where the female lions can take them down. Now that has good spiritual implications for us too, doesn't it? That we can get so focused on a certain problem that we run right into the devil's trap. The devil gets the people of God so intensely focused on one danger that they completely succumb to another danger. It's one of the devil's devices. So, is the lion toothless? Well, the devil is not all-powerful. He is limited. He can't just walk up to anybody and or anything and just 
take him over. He can't do that. There is a way to remain from being devoured by the lion. Let's say it this way. A lion that doesn't devour you is a toothless lion. Let's just say it that way. Should we get it that way? A lion that doesn't sink its teeth into you is a toothless lion because he, he doesn't. But he is not toothless. He has sunk his teeth into many a careless Christian. And he wants to sink his teeth into the shoulders of us. Any one of us. Every one of us here. Peter Rice tells a story of a lion that they befriended. Not they befriended. They bought a lion cub. This was probably back in the 50s when you could do that, I guess. But his dad bought a lion cub. Little six pound or whatever baby kitten. And they raised this lion. And um, and this lion, eventually they had him in a cage in their backyard. <laughs> Peter's, Pete's dad was an evangelist. And so sometimes the family would go on trips, go away for several weeks at a time. And they had a caretaker to take care of things at home in their uh, ranch in Colorado. And this caretaker was really scared of this lion. The others in the family, they would actually go in and feed the lion. They, they were actually, they actually was, he was a friendly lion. But this caretaker was scared of this lion. So he moved the feeder to the edge of the cage so he could just dump the feed in. He wasn't going to go in that cage. Anyhow, when the family came home, the caretaker, ah, but he said, your lion is killing my chickens. The caretaker had a flock of chickens. He said, your lion is killing my chickens. Dad said, my, how can my lion back in the cage and your dead chickens there in the front yard? They're in the front yard there. How can my lion back there kill your chickens? I don't know, but there he's killing my chickens. Well, there's any way to prove it except to watch it. So they, uh, he sat somewhere close by and he watched. And here comes a chicken down toward the lion pen. The feeder is just inside the cage. And so the chicken looks at that lion, but the lion's not moving. So the chicken circles around, comes back a little closer, looks at the lion, lion's not moving. Takes a couple more circles. That lion's not moving. And that feed is right inside the cage there. And after a while, in goes the head. Peck for the feed inside the cage. And for the first time, the lion moves. One swipe, and it's a headless chicken. And the chicken headlessly goes back into the front yard and dies. (laughs) This lion... Just waiting. Now, that lion was toothless to the chicken until it stuck its head in. Sin is that way. Sin is that way. We we can play around with it, but at some point, that lion's going to get you. Don't play with sin. You know that's not actually a threat. That's actually a promise. 
Now, the Calvinists would say that this warning that we have here in, in uh, 1 Peter is not a real warning. Because the saints will persevere, right? It's not a real warning. It's not a real threat. It's just a theoretical one. It's like when you, ta- when you tell your child not to go out in the street, you don't actually expect your child to get run over by a car. You just want to put some fear in him so he doesn't go out in the street. But it's, theoretically, it's not, you don't expect him to get run over. So the warning exists only as a theoretical possibility, not as an actual possibility. This is one of the verses that the Calvinists and eternal security people need to explain away, to postulate their position. These warnings are there just to help us to fear, but they're not real. It couldn't actually happen. But we would know that the Bible and experience would tell us that that is not true. So what is the answer? To be sober, be vigilant, and resist steadfast in the faith. Resist steadfast. Not moving. How can you not move when there's a roaring line about? You can't. Unless you're in the faith. And this is where the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ comes into sharp focus. This is where the promises of God are very real. And this is the reality of the victory that our Lord Jesus Christ had over the devil. Over the enemy, the devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the verse that we read, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain, obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, the devil can be resisted. Be watchful, be sober, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, James says. He will flee in the faith. You know, you and I are no match to a roaring lion. That is exactly why we need the shelter and the protection and the, the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ won. There is no other way. We say, well, I'm going to do a good life. I'm going to live right. Whatever you want to do, you've got to be in the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ won for us.
You could listen to John's message about putting on the armor from two weeks ago. Put it on. Put it all on. Keep it on. Put away your self-sufficiency and your pride. And do what James says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Fill yourself with the word of God. And yield yourself to it. Situate yourself firmly with the people of God who will stand with you in the battle. Continue in prayer. Love God and love the people of God. Don't grieve the Spirit by continuing on in known sin. The faith means both to believe in God and to obey Him. You know, years ago, many years ago, I think it was a youth Bible, uh, charity youth Bible school. Philip Rudolph was a speaker, probably back in the mid-90s, so maybe be about 20 years ago. He gave an illustration I never forgot. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 7, and it talks about the wise man and the foolish man building their houses. Let me, I'll just read those verses. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. He made it very clear that those houses looked similar. You could say they looked the same. Those houses, the wise man and the foolish man, the houses looked similar. But one was prepared for the storm and one was not. You know, we are all building a house. We are all, in a sense, we are all Job. You're living in your house. Philip warned those young people 20 years ago. He told them that there are storms going to come and they are going to test your house. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when the storms come, it's going to be too late to modify your house. In that raging wind and water and storm, it's not the time to fix it. The time to build your house is now. When the skies are blue and the sun is shining. When Job got hit by those devastating reports, there was not a single, he had not one iota of a difference to make and how he was going to respond to it. He couldn't go out and modify the structure of his life and his relationship with God. The lion was there and it was roaring. And what he was is who he was. 
be sober. What more can I say is to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Happens to everybody, the whole world. So that's my message for us this morning. It is more of a message of warning, but I I trust it also has been able to encourage our hearts in the power and uh, how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we just stand for a word of prayer here at the end. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you that you were willing to do battle Lord Jesus, with the devil. You did battle with the devil in a way that we could not do. There in the wilderness, Lord, when you faced him on one on one, and when you went to the cross, you did battle with the devil. And it's because of that, Lord, that we today can stand in a place of security and safety. And we worship you and rejoice in that this morning. Lord, we thank you also for giving us warnings, a real warning, a warning that is not only real, but one that we also see occurring in our day. And I pray, Lord, you give each one of us wisdom how to apply this truth in our own hearts. Lord, church standards will not save us from this warning, from this danger. Lord, there's many things that will not protect us from this danger, but you are able to as we heed your warning. So, Lord, we just pray you would grant us that wisdom and that strength and power. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.